0: Welcome to Future Histories, my name is Jan Groß and it is my great pleasure to welcome Simon Denny in today's episode. Simon is an artist and professor for time-based media at the HFBK Hamburg. This episode came together as part of the extended exhibition program of the double exhibition by Simon Denny and Agnieszka Kurant at Kunstverein Hannover. And I want to say thanks to Christoph Platz-Gallus, director of the Kunstverein, for making this possible and to Zara Moraes dos Santos-Brus for connecting me to Christoph. This has been a great pleasure and I really enjoyed talking to Simon, I have to say. Before we start, I want to welcome Max as a Patreon of Future Histories. And now, please enjoy today's episode with Simon Denny. Welcome, Simon. Thank you very much, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. Simon, in your work, you often investigate different tech imaginaries and the related cultures as well. But let's start with a focus on the imaginaries specifically. What is it that you're investigating when looking at these tech imaginaries, which arguably are not only tech imaginaries, but also always already political imaginaries and economic imaginaries as well?
1: Well, uh, thanks for the question. Um, And I think it's an it's one that I think I constantly revisit. <laughs> um, I think I started working on this rather intuitively uh, quite a long time ago. Um, so I grew up in New Zealand and I moved to Germany where I now live and work um, around 2007. And I went to an art school in Frankfurt there, the Städelschule, which is connected to the Städel Museum. Um, and at that time, I already had a practice of sorts. I was, you know, just my kind of second degree. I'd already... Started a gallery and and had many peers and interests as an as an artist. Um, but uh, one major thing that uh, hit that year was um, was the iPhone, and I guess also the scaling of um, uh, infrastructure like Facebook. And um, I just found, as somebody who was moving from one community to another, from one locale to another, suddenly the importance of my personal tech stack. Uh, became very important to me it was a communication device a learning device these interfaces just took over my experience and at the same time I was around artists who were looking back to the history of how contemporary artists have often during modernism being making work which was sort of dealing with the experience or the feeling of technologies as they hit life you know so you know, even early 20th century or late 19th century um, artists, um, you know, were making work about how technology feels um, and often in the face of new technological kind of consumer environments and paradigms. And um, so I was thinking about people like working in futurism data uh, around the First World War and um, and I was thinking also about mid-century people uh, encountering television and, um, and different types of broadcast uh, environments. Um, so uh, there, there were a lot of art being made uh, trying to process what these things felt like. And I guess with the onset of mobile and um, web to social platforms and user-generated content and uh, all of that, I realized that there was another major thing going on and a toolkit to be able to kind of process that culturally um but i sort of you know realized that intuitively because i was just in- involved in all these things and um and I, I realized also that uh the conversations that i had among my peers were as much informed by art history and what artists were making as they were by new software and communication strategies that were being um you know, uh, shared as a kind of a, a, a platform. Um, so, so yeah, long story short, I have started focusing more and more on who was telling those stories and who was making that, um, those, uh, those platforms, because it seemed to be quite important for what they were. Um, and, uh, so I started to go to technology conferences as well as art events. I started to speak to and seek out technology founders and and listen to their, Um, stories and ways of understanding the world culturally um, and try to kind of process that aesthetically and visually and um, but also yeah politically and 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 um, uh, yeah so I guess that's what you know started me on this path of um, uh, of looking to technological imaginaries or tech imaginaries as keys to understanding contemporary experience and then trying to Place that as, or process that as art experiences that made sense with the history of how artists have um, interfaced with these things in the past. Does that for your question?
0: Yeah, it does. Maybe you could give us an example for of one of your works where you specifically try to aim at these uh, imaginaries.
1: Yeah, so I think the the first one that I really remember that I felt really worked was a show that I produced um, in Munich. Um, in 2000 and 12, 13, so I went to a technology conference, which is quite well known in this part of the world, the DLD, digital life design, it's put on by Buddha media, and it's been going since I think about 2005 or six, um, and has often had kind of, um, you know, major, uh, technology founders, particularly from the U S and Europe. Um, uh, but not only also from Asia and, and, um, different parts of uh, the world as well. Um, come through on their way to davos um it's it happens a few days before davos and um they come and and often the people that organize it um were able to capture founders at the moments when their products were really scaling so mark zuckerberg was there at the moment when facebook was just getting user numbers that were breaking the the records and 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 scaling and so the year that i sort of first encountered this was 2012 and 13 and um I uh, yeah I was given a bunch of the material that um that recorded all of the conversations that were happening that year and Jack Dorsey was there Jimmy Wales was there Pavel Durov was there um among uh, many other people um uh Drew Houston uh you know so founders of Twitter Dropbox uh Wikipedia um Telegram um uh etc um prior to Telegram it was the contacted back then but um Uh, Yeah, so a number of tech founders basically telling their peers um, what their vision was for the world and what they saw the world as and what their, you know, business and technological toolkit for capturing and exploiting that was going to be. Um, And I found that event really moving. I found it very affecting. I was really, I'd never been in an environment like that before. Um, and I found it overwhelming and challenging, um, and, uh, and inspiring at the same time. So I was sort of confused, but, um, but, uh, but I had very strong reactions to it. And then I, I worked on an artwork that kind of transcribed and did sort of, uh, took quotes from that process, um, from those conversations and put them alongside contemporary interface design and printed a bunch of um graphic panels that were sort of summaries of each talk um and then made a kind of a, a maze uh, in a space called the um the Munich Kunstverein um where you know viewers would walk in a sort of a 3d stension like environment like you would if you were stuck in iron, and then be confronted with all of these um bombardments of statements and uh and quips about the world and about where technology was going to take us. Um, so so that was kind of the first time I did that. that that piece then toured to the US and to New Zealand and to many Pienale and uh, and other other types of things. and and I think that's when I really found my way of um, you know taking really seriously the propositions of business and technology thinkers as keys to understanding culture and our in our world today.
0: Let's maybe dig a little bit deeper into this emotional aspect because this is very interesting to me. And I'm wondering whether um, one might maybe connected to the question of aesthetics uh, in in the, in the sense of uh, maybe um, an aesthetics of imagination. Because, um, I, I mean, of course, aesthetics plays a huge role in all of this. You know, it's on the level of um, technological artifacts. It's on the level of the performance on the stage of these conferences. It's, for example, meme culture, um, like uh, being picked up in the blockchain uh, space, stuff like that. But it's also on the level of imagination as well, I would say, because these imaginations of future, they have to be kind of aesthetically coherent. They have to be desirable, so to speak. So there is kind of a realm of treating our imagination of alternative futures as if it was a design space, you know? So, Absolutely. I mean, they, they themselves might even not be aware of that, but there is this question, That you have to address because if you do not address it people won't kind of pick up on it you know it has to be aesthetic and it has to be uh, desirable or it has to be aesthetic in order to become desirable so this is really interesting to me because it also points towards a certain effort that we will have to engage with if we think about alternatives as well so i would be interested in your in your thoughts about this
1: yeah, I mean, in my experience, these types of, um, you know, the more I looked into uh, exactly this question of, you know, was this a design space, and if it was, how, um, how uh, deliberate a design space is it, and um, how are those who are in charge of producing future technological consumer paradigms how how much uh, how much do they think about the design space of the imaginaries of their potential clients, which is everybody everywhere all at once you know <laughs> um, uh and i would say it, it, in my experience it's quite explicit um that, uh and and quite a you know i i learned more and more um just how uh rich and imaginary these um these people draw on i mean it's in one way culturally specific and often quite politically specific um it's often coming from a uh broadly speaking conservative uh view view frame of of the world um and some are quite conservative t- tending towards quite right-wing ideas of what um politics uh, should be um but not always um but it's also uh um Culturally specific, right? I guess, mm-hmm. again, as somebody growing up in New Zealand, um, I'm very aware of the histories of uh, colonialism mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that I come from a history of settler colonialism. I'm a white New Zealander. And, um, you know, I grew up among a very awkward understanding of the fact that my four, you know, forefathers had come and ex- essentially expropriated a bunch of land and you know exported an idea of politics and culture and resources and you know whatever uh capitalism onto a space that prior to that was governed by different people in different ways with different values and you know so i guess i was aware of the fact that when these imaginaries were coming from california and Mm -hmm. were framed from a bunch of people that looked like me that it was again a very culturally specific vision that was being exported um and that felt familiar and um uh yeah also yeah maybe i'm getting ahead of myself but connected to other types of things that i've been looking at culturally in the world anyway you know i think the art world especially in new zealand when i grew up there but also in many other places around the world was thinking exactly about these things about which cultural voices had scale and which were important for Imaginaries of culture and political imaginaries and uh, all these other things. So uh, yeah, I guess they all kind of connected um, in my mind. But yeah, I mean, if you, even if you just look at Apple, right? Uh, you mm-hmm. want the, one of the, the canonical technology companies of the past fifty years. Um, the you know the the design thinking thing that is centric to them is obviously understood as a huge part of why they think. Them, they themselves are successful right the, the the mythologizing of um Johnny Ive and uh and these types of um you know design focused um aesthetics focused uh product design um Simplicity drawing on the history of modernism all of that um uh, is I think everybody in that world understands that to be one of the key things of why Apple is so hedonic. uh so so yeah that's one example but I think there's other other examples as well also from different parts of the or slightly different parts of the political spectrum you know uh one of one of the kind of key arcs of my investigation for the last few years has also been into the um political universe um around uh PayPal founders fund uh Peter Thiel um uh and that's a slightly different i think political imaginary than the one that surrounds Apple um obviously there's a lot of similarities as well um but I think there's a different ideological design space there that is aesthetic in a different way, right? It's not, it's not drawing on the same strands of modernism that Apple is, um, but it is drawing on frontier imaginaries. It is drawing on, you know, um, IQ and, uh, you know, race science and things like that um, really explicitly uh, at different moments in its expression. So, yeah, I don't know if again that's an answer, but I, th- I think uh, all of the very powerful people who are at the centre of those um, projects uh really think a lot about designing inventories in the in the heads of their clients, users, publics.
0: So you would say this uh, this is very much deliberate on their part. So you you, you would say that somebody, that's my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, interesting. That's my. No. So you would say that someone like Peter Thiel, for example, you know, not only kind of um, has an uh, ideological foundation that he builds his kind of worldview um, upon, and then tries to bring this into the world and into actual <laughs> uh, being um, through force by capital, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah but that he kind of reflects upon this aspect of um, of narrative in a, let's say, aesthetic or design frame, so to speak.
1: That's my understanding. And I, and I don't think I'm alone in this interpretation of that yeah. project. And I think it's, it becomes more and more visible as you get kind of discourses around, you know, a pathway through subculture to producing value as well, which is yeah. a more recent turn, I think, in that, in that milieu, um, whereby there's explicit projects to build publics within traditionally avant-garde cultural spaces um to kind of like seed uh political um imaginaries more explicitly and again like i I think i don't want to i don't want to come across as if i think that you know powerful people in california can design the world top down and that they know that that's all possible i think it's very haphazard at the same time but i don't think that contradicts the fact that it's I think that's the part of the project. I, I think that's an explicit part of the design space of the project, right? Yeah, yeah. I think there's many attempts by many companies to do many things in terms of create a culture. I mean, you, you hear projects a lot talk about community, producing mm. community, and, and community being one of the key things to seed a product, right? If you don't have community, then you don't have a a, a, sc- a, a way to scale. And I think that is a you know th- that's a common project across many kind of Silicon Valley uh, things working in that tradition, right? Um, uh, do, I think most people who are in the space of designing those projects know that they don't always work, and there's an amount of luck and haphazardness and synergy, and you know. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I don't claim to have the idea that um, there are kind of uh, people who, even very powerful people, who are able to sit at the center of something and completely design it and sort of just press the go button on a rude Goldberg machine, and suddenly there's a political paradigm or whatever. I don't think. They think that, and I don't think that's possible. But I do think that explicitly designing imaginaries is a part of producing publics that produce products that are sustained by political paradigms, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, Um, absolutely. Well, and of course, I mean, there are also historical examples where this has been done... Quite successfully, <laughs> I mean, there's right. the uh, Montpellier Society where the New Liberals very early on kind of um, had a yes. had a roadmap how to implement these types of ideas into um, into the public sphere and kind of uh, exactly were quite successful in executing their <laughs> their plans as well. So um, of course it's not as yeah, easy. and these
1: people are. St- yeah. No, exactly, but they and these people are explicit students of those projects also. yeah so, yeah. you know, like one of I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to see um, you know, some of these really key actors play into this world. A little bit I was I was a guest at the Montpelier Society meetup at the Hoover Institution.
0: No shit. In, uh, <laughs> in 2000, uh-huh.
1: 2020 and uh, the keynote speaker was Peter um Theo, and uh, you know, so there's a there's a there's a key there's a there's a real literacy I think, uh, in certain parts of the communities that make these incredible products um, and incredible politics and publics that knows what they're drawing on, you know, Um, and at that meeting was incredible. There was also a a kind of a a show of the Hoover Institution's archive of Milton Friedman's um, work, uh, which is, again, I think, another really important milestone in this cultural um, arc and uh, and also uh, friedrich hayek's founding of mont society there was a, an incredible relic there and I'm, I'm very attracted to material relics in my work Sculptor and a painter and a, you know I, I work a lot with making exhibitions and making objects as well as making digital things um and there was a really compelling object at that meetup that i'll never forget that i think kind of contained some of the this you know what we're talking about there was a uh, a kind of a a, a giant uh, tablecloth with the signatories of all of the founders of the Mont Society sewn into it, uh, as a, which is a part of the Hoover Institution's um, archive of Hayek's. So you know, I think yeah, you know, this is this is the world that I find fascinating because these objects I think are just they're valued, but I think they're slightly undervalued in terms of their role and importance. Um, in,
0: in in our kind of cultural world, yeah. very interesting. And um, uh, what would you say? Because I mean, there there had been a certain roadmap uh, back then when Montpellier uh, Society was founded. What would you say? Mm. Uh, what are the shifts that took place? Not really since then, but what are, what are the essential shifts that the generation that is active right now, so to speak, maybe? see different and enact differently? I mean, not the least because there are, of course, also different kind of uh, affordances through the technological stack that is now available and they obviously do use it quite actively, the potential, and and try to kind of uh, um, bring it to their use. So how did they shift um, this perspective? Maybe do they have different types of approaches when they... Try to imagine the enactment of these imaginaries. I mean,
1: that question I'm probably not qualified to answer. I mean, I can speculate what I think might be the case, but I don't have concrete answers of what you know the uh, uh, the explicit differences. You know, I'm, I'm neither an economic historian nor you know I'm an artist, right? So I I I, I sort of do embedded under projects to try and understand communities and and kind of pull out aesthetic moments that capture and reify some of what i think is an important vibe right that's that's my level of qualification and my kind of uh what i can actually claim that i do right all of this other stuff around it this rhetorical material and and my speculations on on various different business strategies is kind of chair amateur (laughs) work right but um but yeah i mean i think there's a to, to my mind there would be um And a a very sophisticated understanding of what's possible in terms of where we are with the technology stack at the moment. I think anybody involved in a VC community um, as influential as Founders Fund or Teal Capital or even Andreessen Horowitz, you know, Uh, is an incredible um, attractor of information of what's possible technologically and what might be possible coming technologically. So I think that that's definitely an important arm of their political apparatus, let's say, if you were building a political project as we think these people might be doing, uh, certainly you would be considering that and there's definitely very, very good information coming to you first all the time, right? Mm. Because you offer money to found and um, support these projects as they grow, right? So that's a. I think that... that combination between financial leverage and power um, translated into an information stream of kind of like um, a a continual updating and evolving of understanding what is possible in terms of communication networks, financial infrastructures, um, and then possible ramifications of what those are, are becoming might be. I think all of that is an incredible tool that people like Hayek and even Friedman probably wouldn't have had access to it, right? So I, th- I think there's, um, I think that's also a real difference, maybe between, um, uh, again, from my, you know, amateur understanding of the kind of technology founder of yesteryear and uh, the adjacency to politics um, uh, and and the kind of political environment that they might have been operating in a mid-century, like even an Intel or a, you know. Uh, uh, and 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 a kind of a more contemporary figure, also like Elon Musk or something like that, who one gets the sense, to Elon Musk and these types of actors are, um, maybe sometimes even political and rhetorical first. You know, um, uh, well th- that's at least my interpretation of it, right? So I think you could you could argue that a figure like Elon Musk understands as good as anybody else, but possibly better than most people, why. Twitter is valuable, and Twitter is a valuable tool rhetorically and politically as much as it is in t- uh, financially. You know, and I, th- I think he is an actor that seemingly uh, continually iterates and experiments on how that tool can be deployed to his advantage, both as a businessman but also as a uh, a, a growing attractor of political power. So you know, so I, I don't know if that's on-topic on or off-topic argument, but I think I think the. The, yeah, the, the tools and availabilities uh, uh, now compared to you know when even in the mid-century, so even fifty years after, even in the Thatcher era, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when when let's it's arguable that Mont Pelerin's um, you know labor's finally sort of came into mainstream political um, usage between Thatcher and Reagan, and sometimes explicitly. I'm sure you'll know that, that Thatcher uh, you know really embraced um, uh, Hayek. Um, you know also nominally um but uh yeah i think i think that there's a big difference in terms of um of what's possible now you know and um yeah
0: and i mean uh, there are big differences in terms of what is possible now not only for them but um hopefully also for us <laughs> i would say so i would be also interested in um what could desirable alternatives on this level of abstraction, um, on the level of, let's say, s- uh, sociotechnical imaginaries, um, what could they look like? And uh, what would you say how, again, how conscious of an effort it can actually be to develop these imaginaries?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, again, just to situate my answer again i'm an artist not a not a political uh thinker or i mean you know i think about politics but i'm not a um i don't design policy i'm not in dialogue with people that um you know spend all their time and you know become very well informed about what may or may not work um you know um so so just to qualify my answer but um i'm sure it's possible to imagine using these um types of environments and apparatuses uh to different political ends um it must be logically possible right i think the difficulty with that seems to be to me that a part of all of that is um is also centralized power and leverage that it's hard to replicate right and this is this has um I guess, um, synergies and and rhymes with uh, conversations around AI. You know, um, again, as I pay attention to various different conversations that surround various different technologies, um, we are now in a a hype cycle that focuses on the promise of AI, but one of the qualifiers that always comes with that, and I think you see that in terms of spending and resource allocation and personnel decisions, everything that's affecting the technology community right now, um, that, uh, you know, very few, very big actors are really at the center of being able to deploy these tools. And I think that's somewhat true with um, the world of political imaginaries and arms of technology that I was describing as well. You know, So while I, I hope that there's ways uh, that people who have different politics could get access to those design spaces, I think it's a formidable task to um, overcome centralized power like that as it's as it's become centralized you know um wh- where i got excited again as a as a kind of cultural um uh lightning rod and and ray of fire <laughs> along the way of all of these stories um I was was around crypto and i spent quite a lot of time um as crypto emerged thinking and and being excited about the fact that um alternative financial power structures were being explicitly designed and with them there were various rhetorical and ideological spaces also emerging. Um, I, I, I enjoyed seeing a full political spectrum of those um, emerging around blockchains. So I, I saw right libertarianism, of course, heap um, uh, various different visions on top of those infrastructures and uh, and thrive. But I also saw um, really interesting people come out of activism from the left, uh, emerge from protest movements from the, um, uh, you know, um, mid 2000s, like, um, uh, like Occupy, people coming from those types of histories also attracted to designing through blockchains, uh, through the idea that designable money spaces might, you know, open up different political opportunities. Um we're at a, a moment in the hype cycle in the blockchain story and the political imagination surrounding the blockchain story, which is quite low. Uh, there's a lot of pessimism. And I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that there's been many scammers uh, and and actors uh, exposed. Um, new new technological spaces always have um, potential upsides for incredible amounts of arbitrage. And this is often where people accrue power at the beginnings of those new technological paradigm deployments and um uh, yeah and with that becomes a kind of gray gray area legally um that people often try and capture the surplus from um think airbnb and uber and very kind of banal versions right things that were sort of not quite legal suddenly became an opportunity to capture a whole huge market sector and therefore a, a power base um and i think in in blockchains there was a huge amount of possibilities for that and a really long period of time when it was a gray market and it still kind of is even though it's firming up right now um you know uh, certainly this is this allowed for the the growth of um defi and and all these other kind of um projects and and yeah and uh huge opportunities for scammers which are now kind of meeting regulation as uh, as as the world of um, financial regulation catches up with um catches up with those projects uh, a lot of um yeah a lot of disappointing stories come out of the blockchain space and therefore make it less of a attractive space for political narratives uh, as well at the moment but um let's see maybe maybe, maybe things uh could uh, could change along that environment as well
0: I want to dig a little bit deeper into this question of the the recent history but before that just because you um, like uh, now um, a second time uh, try to situate rightly so try to situate your answer and and pointed out that you are uh, quote-unquote, just an artist, <laughs> um, for me, that's yeah. that's one of the reasons why I ask you these specific questions around aesthetics of imagination and stuff like that. And of course, because you very much engage with these uh, imaginaries in your work uh, in general. Before we move on to digging a little deeper into this recent history, I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper into this question of alternative imaginaries still. Because I mean, one question would also be that coming from your, like, deep engagement with the existing um, socio-technical imaginaries do you think there are certain maybe leverage points or certain fields um, that can and should be addressed by any alternative socio-technical imaginary in order to maybe also become as desirable? You know, to kind of um, put it back to this question of um, that it needs to be desirable, you know, because I um, more and more come to the conclusion that this is like really, really, really crucial, you know, because uh, within future histories, for example, I very much engage with this question of uh, democratic planning and how this could be brought about I engage with these different models and so on. And of course, this is all important and the theory behind these models is important too, but I oftentimes... um, get to this point where I think, oh, wait a second. I mean, of course, it's important to have a theoretical discussion about this, but this construction of alternative uh, imaginaries uh, in relation to desires is even as important (laughs) as this theoretical discussion about, you know, comprehensive models of uh, democratic planning. So do you think that there are certain... Um how do you say hebel um you speak German do you speak german? certain leverage points yeah certain leverage points um to 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 go about this task you know yeah i
1: mean I think there are and i think um I think that's a fair question and i think um and I think that actually oftentimes you know these very intelligent thinkers that we've been referring to before um that are uh, have been in charge of very successful um products um see these uh, spaces and develop them really effectively right and so i think uh, i think message boards uh in the in the 90s and the 2000s were were kind of seeders of potential um possibilities for politics and culture and i think that in those in those imaginaries were born possibilities that played out um Culturally, right, that started with culture first and then kind of, um, and then, or started with a particular, you know, it's, I don't want to be uh, determinist in where things begin. Maybe that's the wrong way to put it. But I think that um, certainly, uh, you know, certain moments have been recognized to kind of coalesce uh, certain politics, right? So uh, let's say to put a concrete name on it, let's say that there was um uh, a kind of a conservative meme factory produced um, within 4chan, right? Let's, let's, let's make it simple like that. And that was a combination of a cultural force and a technological paradigm and various people um, on the left also recognized that that was happening, particularly in the, um, in the Trump uh, run up to the Trump era and how important that felt um, culturally during that era of his first uh, run to presidency. I remember a lot of conversations and analysis going into why Four Chan was able to produce, you know, um, Trump-supporting uh, memes and and political narratives. Um, and uh, and I think that the, those same communities seem to be popping up in avant-garde, uh, adjacent, and cultural adjacent circles now, and funding small offline communities um, and um, pumping quite a lot of resources and space. Into those situations and glamour, um, and I think that um, part of the apparatus of, uh, of of what art can produce is sort of some kind of synthesis of money, glamour, and um, and, and seeding ideas through events and small communities that then kind of scale into larger conversations, um, and often take place in geographical centres of money um, in, in in certain parts of our um, empire. <laughs> Let's say, um so I, I and I don't see as much um, of that same recognition of that power being as organized um, in circles around the left. So I think there there would be an opportunity there for um, getting money and resources together and kind of seeding. Um, uh, political spaces that are adjacent to art and uh, and glamour in the way that those spaces are. And I think a lot of the actors that you know, I'm also a teacher in an art school so I see the beginnings of some of these conversations it's very normal for art school students to band together and produce very authentic interesting, exciting, glamorous young spaces um, uh, but those spaces often especially today are, are running away from, are running out of money sources and I think um, from the kind of political center and the political left, there used to be a lot more, especially in Europe, um, available to support these structures. I think in Germany it's still done a pretty good job um, of of doing that, but I, I know in other parts of the Anglosphere it's definitely not um, uh, as, 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 uh, as easy to do these things as it used to be. And those things used to seed, I think, important political things. And it was a space for starting ideas and creating the kind of momentum necessary to scale ideas very organically. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure you'll know the term again from the kind of, um, chat room, um, world of, of uh, the idea of force memeing, right. The idea that a meme can't be designed top, down it has to be a bottom-up experience and something about the architecture and the and the personnel that went into producing memes and chan that really scaled was a special piece of magic that was very very hard to reproduce in other types of environments um even if somebody put the kind of same seemingly the same ingredients together it didn't often produce the same stickiness and scale Mm. um and i think that um that's also true with kind of culture you can't sort of top-down force meme avant-garde art either it sort of has to be a bottom-up experience that then gets kind of picked up at the right time with the right amplifiers and there's a very um special i think set of expertise that um that art schools and their adjacent spaces and kind of uh you know arts council funding type um type arrangements are are able to produce and have produced very effectively uh in the last 50 to 100 years um in britain america and uh you know new zealand these cultures that i'm really familiar with um and also in germany um so i think that could be an opportunity that is now being exploited by uh, people on the more conservative end of things very explicitly that could be reinvested in by um people of other politics
0: okay and then um maybe let's uh bring these two elements together and uh, take another look at this question of recent history uh, when it mm. comes to this relation of the left and tech, because I mean, one way to put it might be, or at least of the recent history, um, you might say that, okay, there was this, um, like 2014, 15 moment where you had this accelerationist, um, manifesto by Srinichek and Williams, you had their book, then afterwards, inventing the future, you had the xenofeminist uh, manifesto, uh, Falk. So, um. Fully automated uh, luxury communism floated yeah. around at this time, also. So all the all of these things um, kind of popped up, trying to maybe renegotiate this question um, of technology mm. and the left. You know, so yeah. uh, there was this, and then um, I guess some of the kind of uh, crypto sphere, the blockchain space. Uh, I would say maybe. Um, Leached upon this energy at, at uh, some of the energy that that came out of this I would say also kind of went into the blockchain sphere and this um, as you already pointed towards an enthusiasm around for example DAOs and stuff like that and um, I for oh. one uh, remain a little skeptical whether or not this uh, uh, did the whole thing Really, a favor or not, but uh, apart from from this question, whether or not the uh, crypto sphere was leaching parts of this energy, I would say that there's also arguably another aspect to this accelerationist um uh moment that kind of takes a part in why it has to be rethought. I would say, and this is the more or less not completely, but um more or less um, uh, unreflected or, let's say, not sufficiently reflected inherent problems with uh, Promethean progressivism, so to speak. So I would say, um, of course, the accelerationists had some uh, um, valid points when it comes to what they called folk politics, so to speak, you know. But then on the other side, again, um, I think the... For example, the question of um, ecology or the ecological question kind of is a crystallization point also for why this um, kind of uh, Promethean progressivism in its Kind of unreflected form also cannot lead to, like, sufficient answers, so to speak. So this um, might be a way to frame um, the very recent history, so to speak. And I would be interested whether either you um, agree with this framing, and then what do you think? Uh, what's the point where where we are at right now? I think you already kind of pointed towards this aspect that AI. Um, because of the way that the infrastructure um, is built kind of is has a tendency or a strong tendency towards centralization and that's an aspect of mm. it but maybe you could elaborate a bit more on what you think is the point where we are at right now when it comes to this question of the left and tech
1: yeah again uh i'll I'll make a stab at it from my armchair uh you know my my <laughs> I'm going to say this 10 times on this podcast, but my, yeah. my primary project is producing fantastic artworks, right? That's that's <laughs> what I spend most of my time trying to do. And yeah. I feel that a part of that project is informing myself as best as I can about politics and aesthetics and all these things, right? So yeah. I, I have kind of opinions, but this is not what I put my primary energy into understanding, right? It's, uh, I, I try to I try to put all that energy into what makes a great artwork uh, and a great art experience. Um, but having, having said that disclaimer again, um you know i've been really interested in in this yeah this flow of energy right maybe from accelerationist adjacent things you know coming from a history of ccru and uh, and and you know those types of thinkers maybe again I, I think it's really interesting how left right polarities emerge in this context right so if you take that history again understanding of it um you know, you have Sadie plan on the one side and Nick Land on the other, right? And 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 that's the sort of framework work for the political possibilities within. Uh, you know, with an accelerationism and its forebearer. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess with Mark Fisher in the middle, right? And um, so I think that was the that was the background that I understood accelerationism to be emerging out of. Um, and certainly uh, a group of artists around that as well were kind of interested at Jason and kind of trying to work through the cultural possibilities of that. And that was, I think, broadly the what was termed at the time post-internet art actors, which is when I became active um, and visible also within my own art making. Then crypto, I think, did emerge out of similar communities and some of the energies and hopes that um, that I saw organizing in the art world um, around the banner of post-internet and accelerationist thought and questioning it, right? Like often also within art, you have this really productive, I think, um, space where a lot of things are examined and, and and tried out even things that uh, one is politically both aligned with and, and, and questioning, right? So you, you, you got a sort of a full exploration of of the possibilities of those spaces from left to right within, within art. And I think that was uh, also true and still potentially true within crypto, which is maybe where at a certain end of a certain arc, but let's say as the accelerationist um, question lost its momentum culturally, um, I think that uh, crypto was uh, was becoming more attractive to similar types of people with similar types of questions, who wanted to look both at the design space of um, politics and the design space of aesthetics, um, uh, and 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 then this kind of new foregrounding of the financial design space at the same time. Um, so I think a lot of productive thinking got done around that, and actually there was a. Um, uh, and still is, I think, a a kind of ecological question at the center of that, too. Resource questions were always at the center of um of conversation, certainly with from the art perspective around crypto. Um there was a you know huge debates around um, whether one could use proof of work or not um as a you know because it was so energy intensive. Um, and certainly I did a bunch of work uh, that addressed that very directly as well. I found that really compelling. But I had peers alongside me as well that were designing projects that were sort of trying to think about how nature and um, – or, or you know, nature is the wrong word, uh, let's say – non-human actors could interact with markets as a potential space for also designing systems um, that took into account things that in the – you know. Um, Let's uh, say more mainstream economic world were considered to be externalities, right? So, what if financial things were in, in dialogue with with natural natural things, and and those designs could be more synergistic, uh, you know, more more capturing more of a whole? Um, so, I'm thinking about you know things that happened around project spaces like Trust in Berlin and projects like Terra Zero that were sort of circling around that group of people. Uh, they were coming in and out of. Um, conversations uh, happening uh, with, uh, uh sp- Spaces like Strelka, also, you know, also kind of design thinking worlds that also interacted with various other art actors um, at the same time. So I think that was a really productive little moment. And then NFTs as a phenomenon came and blew all that energy apart and (laughs) sort of uh, confused everybody (laughs) Uh, because suddenly there was this, you know, those were all quite modest and uh, small experiments that were happening with crypto and, uh, and DAOs and stuff prior to 2021 when the NFT explosion kind of like took over everybody's attention space and suddenly there was this sort of casino aspect in there that had been backgrounded, that sort of hadn't really been the most important thing for those people who were interested in that design space up until that moment but then suddenly certain people saw access to capital that they'd never imagined, and I think uh, started to design, you know, um, products in different ways uh, that that sort of addressed value capture financially uh, much more explicitly. And um, again, I wouldn't personally describe that as a corruption, but it certainly shifted the focus um, to value capture and business design. And, you know, again, things that I think are really important, actually, to to, to solving anything, because you can't go on organizing with goodwill alone, and, and the kind of hours that youth allows dries up as one gets older and you know you need more resources to produce thinking and 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 remain sustainable so again i I don't think that was a a part of the puzzle but i do think it took some of the narrative emphasis out of some of the more uh adventurous designing between money resources and non-human actors and, and all these kind of urgent questions and then ai i think Again, we, we're at another moment where the, the, the recent um, hype cycle in, in AI, certainly in the art world, is spurred by access to um, text-to-image prompt, consumer-facing goods. You know, the, the AI systems that produce them have been there for a long time, and there's been really productive questions also being asked by various artists around what's possible with AI and what isn't, also from the political left um, explicitly. Um uh, but then suddenly you have all these kind of image prompt things, which 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 again sort of produce a Cambrian explosion of potential possibilities that have it has a kind of hype and energy cycle into it. But I, I you know, I was in touch with um, some of the people that were founding. Um, uh, the the mid-journey project. And there were artists very close to the beginning of that project. So David, the founder, um, had a group of people who were very art adjacent around him as he was doing the first iterations of that engine. And uh you know, I designed an NFT project with um one of the founders of CryptoKitties called.com Seance, which used very early algorithms that weren't mid-journey but were kind of adjacent to that. Um before my journey existed, um, with the same community of people. And I know other artists like John Raffman also were there trying out things at the same time. So this is again, the same kind of community of people that I've been talking about for the long time. But then when that becomes a kind of hit product, I think, you know, immediately voices like ours became less interesting to David than, than, than other people around him designing business models, which were more, you know, about, um, value capture and, and scale. Uh, so, so I don't, I, I think at the moment, um, there are AI and ownership adjacent conversations, which I think are really interesting that are happening from this community. I I'm thinking explicitly of um, uh, Matt Holly Matt Matt Dryhurst and Holly Herndon's um, project spawning that they're building, which is about ownership and training sets and trying to define more explicit spaces for artists ownership and royalties associated with uh, being a part of various training sets. I think that's a really interesting. I mean, again, I don't know if I would put that on a left-right spectrum, explain, but I think it's about the small actor having agency in large centralized systems. Um, so I think that could could be could be left, Jason. Um, and uh, so that's where I think that's happening. But I think also um, uh, AI is a harder thing to become a part of than crypto was for a small actor because because of the centralized nature of the of the technology. So you can build. On top of centralized systems, but it's not the same thing as starting your own protocol or, or becoming part of a core group of Ethereum devs. Or you know, these things were just more open culturally and um, uh, and 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 actively. You know, and um, I was very lucky to be around a Berlin and around a cultural Berlin that was adjacent to the flowering of Ethereum's possibilities at the times when it was. Whatever you think of the Ethereum project now. And 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 there is a real spectrum of political possibilities. I think in the Ethereum community, some which are very right libertarian, and, and some which are much more left adjacent. Um, but at least those spaces are open. You can walk into those rooms. You can you know if you if you're if you're in those circles, they're approachable and and somewhat understandable. Um, and I think yeah, for me, the adjacency to AI is so much more distant.
0: I mean, what always uh, struck me with the cryptosphere and the imaginaries that are that were coming out of that and even the imaginaries that were developed on a more like a left-leaning spectrum, which I guess is, is um, uh, one that, that you're um, also engaging with. I mean, there's a certain type of pre-configuration going on, um, which is mm-hmm. that the way in which these imaginaries are built is always on top of a layer that is kind of strictly transactional, you know? So the, because that's uh-huh. kind of uh, built in uh, to these infrastructures. It's it's at the end, yeah. the tools that they try to employ for building, hmm. I don't know, a left utopian DAO or whatever, you know, uh, the right. tools are framed within a framework that is strictly transactional. And um, that at the end kind of has a certain tool set, which is in um, most of the time, can be, and I'm being polemic here, but can be kind of um, boiled down to monetary incentive structures that, <laughs> that, yeah. that that they try to employ in order to get people to do whatever. And, and that's a certain type of way of relating to things, to people, to more than human nature to whatever, you know. And if you mm. limit yourself <laughs> uh, in in such mm. a fashion, then this is already a very, very, very narrow corridor within which you think right. about these alternatives. and this is this was really um, very irritating to me i have to say when when interacting with these types of projects and and uh, but then within this narrow corridor of course the people are very enthusiastic very also um kind of honestly um, trying to do things differently but uh, i'm looking right. at it and i'm thinking oh, yeah it's yeah. All already flawed if-
1: i could imagine a lot of the actors that i was in uh, contact with during this period uh could relate very well to that analysis so i think that it's it's uh, it's, it's a wall that a, a number of people i know um found themselves up against and and found to be limiting yeah
0: for but sure. then but then if we stick to this small description of recent history and we had you know this accelerationist energy um, kind of um, going into parts of the cryptosphere and now um we Get to this point where we have this critique, where the where this obviously is a corridor that is w- uh, f- framed way too narrowly. Then what's? Where do we go from here? You know, and th- and you al- uh, also pointed out that the AI thing is kind of too difficult to get into, but it doesn't mean that it's not only That's these it feels roads. That's what like
1: to be right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. No,
0: but but the question would um, then be where you know that th- there must be other roads to go as well. You know, that's not it's not just AI uh, or you know the dead end of uh, incentivization through uh, through crypto tokens or whatever. You know, there are other ways as well. Do you have any feeling or any there are there any sparks <laughs> that you can see that point uh, towards different directions?
1: I mean, my you know my flaneurial that's a if that's a word uh uh you know um uh position that that I have right has always been trying to come to things where i see emergent possibilities happening and sort of figuring out what's going on culturally and ethically and trying to reify that into something that makes sense and um within my idiom and um uh and i've seen a few hype cycles come and go right and mm-hmm. i think we certainly are at a at a low point in the crypto hype cycle where very few possibilities are seen some some very few possibilities are seen because of what you said that the design space is so specifically interest that there is no alternative possible build on those foundations that would be one bottoming out of a hype cycle hope world uh, uh for certain actors right um and i think that um uh often when you reach a trough like that it's quiet for a few months and then there's another moment where suddenly somebody sees something in that design space that can alter that that can be something different um and i'm never the person that um uh or my role is not to uh spawn these moments or to uh to start them um but it's more to be uh, listening close enough to to notice them as they emerge um, right now, I'm not sure where that's going to come from, but, uh, but we're not at the end of history yet, um, and, uh, and I'm sure there will be moments of possibility. And I think often in the past, these spaces have opened up in very surprising ways. You know, So again, like, uh, I don't think anybody making art on blockchains uh, saw NFTs coming as a paradigm shift nobody you know and there were many people frustratedly trying to find a way to connect um i mean this is a very narrow design space again it's not the same political macro you're talking about but but uh, in terms of like hype cycles and possibility uh, horizons uh, in imaginaries um i think often it can seem like there's nothing and then all of a sudden there's something that changes that perspective and it's very very hard to see coming down the road um and it, uh, until you're sort of on it and i'm not on it right now uh it's and i don't know where it's coming down a road but i imagine there will be a turn which makes a design space in an imaginary space possible you know um if that gives you an answer
0: yeah yeah and i just wanted to point out that at least to me To me, it doesn't seem surprising that NFT came along, I have to say. I mean, not that I could Mm. have foreseen it, but it's very coherent, Mm. I would say, because, I mean, it... Yeah, but everything's coherent in retrospect, right? Like, that's that's the thing about about history. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that's true, but, I mean, it's coherent in the way that, um, I mean, what blockchains always did was to formalize ownership without formalizing um, identity. And, um, so there was always a form of, um, kind of focusing on, uh, there was a strong emphasis on, on ownership. Yeah. And, and so the, the idea that, um, this space at some point will bring about kind of the quote unquote ultimate idea of, um. Uh, Hyper speculative um, hmm. ownership asset is is is, yeah. is kind of that's why I mean it's coherent. Makes you know? sense. Sure. So it's, no, I, I yeah.
1: understand what you're saying. But I mean, yeah. I think I also the other part of the answer maybe to your question of like you know uh, is there going to be a design space that's possible that's anything to do with crypto or AI that the people who want to build things on the left can engage with right. in earnest without being defeated before the purpose. I mean I wonder if that question is so specific to technology right I mean I yeah, think Yeah no no is. no
0: it's uh, not of course yeah
1: <laughs> right so this is what maybe it is is it maybe important from my macro cultural perspective to understand it's, uh, it's 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 maybe not a technical question um that's maybe uh a question that is broader because I also don't see anything outside of um uh, crypto um, as a design space, which also doesn't rely on the underpinnings of, um, of you know, uh, a, a basically monetarist understanding of, um, of how power works and how people align and and what you know what getting communities together means and what the levers are to to nudge those as I'm, I'm I, you know so it's yeah as I say I, I think it's not really a a technological question but it's a cultural question that the technology projects that are built and and build on reflect as well right if if mm. if the technology is a is a is a relic of a political environment again i don't without being determinist of which comes first um it's unsurprising that the uh, technological stack is in synergy with a general narrative around what possibilities are for design in in general right
0: yeah, yeah, right, right, and I, I just want to uh, state clearly that I, of course, also do not think that it's a te- technological project first. Of yeah. course, it's a, it's a, a political project. But I'm specifically right. interested in this nexus, you know, and I think you mm-hmm. are too. Some too. somehow, you know, absolutely. So, and then, absolutely. Uh, so this is then. The, but again, the question, maybe yeah.
1: maybe we can revisit earlier moments in our conversation, right? Where, like, you know, we see where are actors looking for spaces of possibility that have a lot of information available to them, mm. right? And, um, and again, on the conservative side of things, politically, I see actors investing a lot in, in offline, small communities of cultural actors doing, uh, you know, seeding ideas in a very organic bottom up way. And uh, that is, of course, a social technology. One could frame it like that. Um, So maybe that's a space of possibility for people of different politics as well to invest in, you know, uh, ground level, authentic, small communities of people who have uh, energy and a little bit of glamour around them. Uh, maybe those are, are technological spaces for invention. Um, you don't have to use the word crypto to describe those. You don't have to use mention AI to describe those spaces. Those are very human cultural technologies. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, uh, if, if that's a possibility space that is, um, worthy enough for very busy people with a lot of resources to invest their time and energies in uh, cultivating explicitly. Then perhaps uh, uh, we can do that in cheaper ways ourselves that don't need that capital, especially if we are the actors indeed producing that value. Supposedly, right? So that's where I see the possibility for people that I teach in art. That I, you know, I, I have a mentoring program that I also co-founded with a bunch of artists outside of my academic teaching in uh, in the in the German um, art school system um, called Berlin Program for Artists, which helps artists who are already starting out their journeys uh, into being kind of professional actors outside of institutions like schools and gives them a community to work with, I think that's a very worthwhile, you know, deployment of of my personal efforts and capital, the limited amount that I have, you know. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, m- maybe that's an answer in terms of where possibilities might lie.
0: I mean I have one question here where you um quite surely will have to have a disclaimer <laughs> again. Um I'm not sure if I, if I should but I'll just ask it and, and we'll see yeah, where it takes ahead. us. I mean um because there's a there's a certain uh a dead end, so to speak, that I encounter oftentimes in future histories. Uh um when when talking to different people about mm, yeah, also questions of democratic planning and and the like. And since yeah. the artwork allows itself a bit more of, I would say, speculative slack, maybe I thought maybe you encountered yeah. interesting approaches around this question. so the the dead end um, comes in when, as I said, thinking about democratic um, planning. But in relation to a, um, I would say, relational materialist uh, thinking, meaning that you do want to establish structures of uh, democratic planning, but without falling back into essentialist notions of truth, essentialist notions of the individual, the human individual, the, the, the human subject, but instead work towards an Expanded notion of what the what this democratic polis might be, you know, expanding it to include non-human actors, um, the the more than human in general, more than human nature, but also, of course, uh, possibly technological environments and stuff like that. So maybe one could speak of a. A government of things, um, where things are not thought of only as objects, but from a perspective of um, relational materialism. So, but this then kind of uh, brings up the question how to, again, maybe design the police, um how to th- how to design this space beyond, relying on human subjects as its nucleus, you know? So a Mm -hmm. uh, a non-more-than-human government of things as democracy. (laughs) What would that look like? And I've asked many different people, and I didn't get (laughs) very far yet. I have some clues, some leads, um, but I would be interested. Mm -hmm. What What do you think about it?
1: Well, uh yeah, I'm definitely going to disclaim it this one. Um So my, again, <laughs> my my role is to uh, to synthesize things that I have a reasonable sense of adjacency to, and a reasonable sense that I can speak to them meaningfully, and you know, add value in my reification to at least of uh, capturing an essence of something that I feel able to capture. Um, and this is also where I would come to this question from: is that um, I think a lot of people uh maybe like yourself uh, look for political imaginaries and um technological spaces for designing community um that uh outside of what the dominant political uh, uh, fantasies and and actualities are and certainly in the art world um and in the cultural space um uh often then there's a question of who is designing those spaces and who is in charge of making those decisions and yeah you, you point out you know human and non-human actors um there are whole understandings of the world that um uh, that have uh, that are old that include uh ways of understanding these things um that are coming from the culture that is not the people in california that we've been talking about uh, nor the Um, nor the political theorists that we've been referring to during this conversation um, uh, that often come from communities that have been uh, disempowered by exactly that trajectory of actors, right? So again, I'm going to come back to my upbringing and my geographical understanding of the world, which was from New Zealand and, um, you know, uh, Maori and Pacific um, indigenous communities um, have been uh have ways of understanding um the world and actors within it um uh, across human and non-human space and indeed explicit uh political and technological um paradigms for you know working and and ordering the world um uh, and being an actor in it um that worked very well for a long time uh, p- prior to the cultural spaces that, that we occupy and we, uh, we are part of antagonizing, right? Um, and I think uh, certainly in the art world, a lot of um, uh, attention and um, reallocation of resources is going towards um, recognizing and trying to grapple with how to um, include those types of understandings of the world more productively in the type of cultural design space that we're occupying and coming from. Um, that's a very carefully worded answer because it's a very tricky space. Um, and I've made my own attempts to um, come into dialogue with people that know more than me about those ways of understanding technology and understanding the world. I did a big project in New Zealand with a um, uh, a thinker architect that I really admire called Karamia Muller, who comes from a um, Samoan um, background. Uh, not only, but and her, you know, her her world of expertise is um, uh, indigenous space, indigenous indigenous understandings of space from a Pacific perspective. And we made an exhibition together, a group exhibition together of of objects that came both from a, a crypto design space and a kind of a an understanding of a lineage of design from crypto histories. Um interestingly, her grand no, her, her uncle is Swiss as well as Samoan. There's an interesting colonial history there. And he is also the founder of a very important set of banking infrastructure that was adjacent to the birth of crypto in Switzerland and its interaction with the um uh with the world of mainstream finance. So he was the legal actor that designed the possibilities for the launch of Ethereum in in, in dialogue with um uh, with Vitalik. Um, and he founded a very important crypto bank called Signum, um, which a lot of crypto uh, projects use. Um, and you know, uh, it was really interesting to antagonize that history and put it alongside um, other Pacific histories and other Pacific adjacent actors thinking about community and design and, and what what agency was in terms of technology, what, what technology indeed mean, who was able to claim the technological, who was able to design uh political space um, and, and what power structures meant in that. So this is maybe a more detailed answer than you want, but I, I do think that um, uh, those are where people in my community find um, energy to have conversations that look different from monetary incentive design um but it comes with difficult cultural territory it comes with an admission and a and a reckoning with oneself that um if you're in that design space as a white guy like me you might not be leading that design space right you can't just simply appropriate those uh structures of design and uh and work on top of them as your own um, and that that involves a different understanding of agency and collaboration than I was certainly used to before I tried to you know engage in those kinds of conversations and it leads to conversations that sound very different to the one that you and I have had today with also a different pace and and a different understanding of where value lies Etc so so I guess maybe my my takeaway from that experience and and, and continuing to think in this space is that, Maybe even the way that you and I are describing design as a part of um, the problematics that we're encountering that are cultural, technological, political, right? So it, um, we might have to decenter ourselves if we want to make space for things that are other than that.
0: Absolutely, and I mean uh, um, the, the the way that I kind of asked uh, for how to you know bring about sociotechnical imaginaries can easily be understood as if I was thinking that this would be as easy and as if this would be desirable in in, in such a you know quasi top down fashion, which of course I'm <laughs> exactly. I'm not, but yeah. um, it, I totally Again, understand that. Of, yeah,
1: yeah, the colonial and the, you know all of these things come back, right? And I th- yeah. think this is. I think part of where my research also um sits and often encounters is that the 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 way that language and narrative is crafted from California has a long history, has a lot of continuity with things that, that seem often when new products are proposed to be very far away. Um, and uh, uh but yeah, I mean, you don't you don't have to look very far once you reframe uh, the lens into, uh, you know the language of Frontiers um hero stories of uh, of, uh, of saviors coming and designing things that uh, enable everybody else to be subjects, Etc. you know mm-hmm. these, these things are deep cool stories that we tell and retell and package and repackage mm-hmm. and and there I think we can meaningfully use the word the word we, you know because I think it is people like you and me that um, that uh, are that. Mm. Uh, infrastructure and our bodies and our, and our minds, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. This all kind of really nicely uh, relates to the last episode of Future Histories, actually, where I had uh, Elisa Loncon Antileo uh, as a guest who is a, M- a Mapuche leader and um, was involved in the, the constitu- constitutional process of um, uh, recently in, in Chile. Um, maybe... Uh, I mean, we we are having this uh, conversation as part of the let's say extended exhibition program of your show, uh, Metaverse Landscapes at the Kunstverein Hannover. So maybe let's have a a little promo block at least. What are you investigating with this specific work of yours, uh, the the Metaverse Landscapes?
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't need to be a promo block actually because it flows on very well from the um, the conversation we're having. So right. um, my my work again, my role as an artist is, I think, to kind of um, try and take these feelings and observations that I have in dialogue with my various different conversations that I have and kind of make that into compelling objects that make sense within the the context, which I deploy them in, in, in the history of art and contemporary art making. And, um, and, uh, so I've made a series of paintings, which is, uh, um, a format that art has, that has been at the center of a certain type of art for a very long time. Um, and modernism obviously, um, is one of those, uh, and um, and also landscape painting has been something that I've been thinking about a lot um, in relation to exactly these questions, right? So um, growing up in New Zealand, the first thing that I learned in art history class was about uh, settler landscapes of, of New Zealand from European painters. And um, those European painters took the aesthetic language of Europe and sort of like, uh, you know, exported it, <laughs> dragged and dropped uh, it uh, on top of um, quote-unquote new uh, spaces and lands, and they produced these images that were reproduced throughout the settler communities that were looking towards New Zealand, and um, and that that formed imaginaries in the minds of um, of those settlers who would move there and and start buying and selling land as uh, you know as broken up pieces of property, um, uh, and also just simply occupy those spaces and cult of them in in cultural and technological ways that Europe had been uh, uh before right so so I saw the role of the artists which were often commissioned by uh, you know private companies that did the the, the early work of the colonial um, establishment um uh, that also had by the way you know financial structures which are very important to uh, the history of modernism within them joint stock companies Etc um you know were, were part of colonial projects and um Uh, you know, uh, absorbed into sovereign states after they'd kind of created these products out of the colonies that they were producing. And artists produced these imageries, which sort of captured some of the imaginaries of what those spaces were becoming, what they might become, and kind of political and financial possibilities of those lands. Um, And I thought, hmm, uh, that happening at the same time as I was looking at crypto assets a lot, thinking about the emergence of Um, You know, being able to own parts of the internet, maybe one could say that there's a sort of similar parceling up of what has been a commons into a space that you can now own and trade. Um, And certainly that was made very explicit in metaverses where you could buy and sell properties in various different uh, metaverses, which were scarce and ways of pictorially imagining what those spaces might look like and, and what might be possible in them which also draw on histories of of image making so if you buy a property in a, a prominent um, ethereum adjacent metaverse like decentraland you buy a gridded image with a, a red dot in the middle of a sort of a part of a top-down map which yeah looks like a, a grid um uh, to those who are trained in, 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 in understanding modernist painting history. Um, the grid on a square is a very important trope um, and was also adjacent to uh, processing rationalized town planning. Um, I'm thinking about uh, painters like Piet Mondrian and very well-known um, uh, paintings like Broadway Boogie Woogie, which were of the kind of Manhattan grid um, or derived from the Manhattan grid and then went out into abstraction. Um, And I was thinking, huh, maybe there's a similar role that I can play as a neo-colonial painter of these spaces that are being packaged and and settled. Um, So I've made modernist-esque paintings of existing properties in various metaverses, including Decentraland, which look at once like mid-century abstract grid painting and are indeed pictures of landscape properties that are being speculated on in this kind of neo-colonial environment that we're we're kind of experiencing with the growth of um of metaverses and maybe the inevitability of capitalism moving on into um into virtual spaces as we reach the limits to um, what is possible in the kind of physical world um let's say and um and and so with those uh paintings of other people's properties uh that I'm that I've put in uh this exhibition uh, I also issued a new token that comes with each painting, um, which tracks the owner of that property that your painting depicts. Um, so when you look at the painting that you see on the wall of the museum, or indeed, if you own one at home, uh, you're looking at some a, a depiction of somebody else's property. And you can always scan the side of the, the painting where I've uh, put a little QR code in. To see who the owner of that property is uh, at any given time, and also to see where the development of that property is going, because um, these metaverses change interfaces, they they grow, they subdivide in different ways. Um, different actors uh, do different things with various plots, and often those are reflected on the on the token itself. That um, that is the kind of proof of ownership of that property. Um, so you can kind of have your painting of a, a certain moment in the early development of these early settled lands. Um, and then you can also see where the kind of current development is at uh, in these moments. So, yeah, this is also about, I guess, exploring the continuities of, um, of these technological paradigms um, as, they, as they emerge. Fantastic.
0: Simon, there's a last question that I ask all of my guests, and it is, if you think about the future, what makes you joyful?
1: Ah, that's a that's a great question. Um, so I'm uh, always thinking about the future, and uh, especially in the role of um, being in touch with artists who are always trying to make new things and think about things in different ways. So what makes me joyful about the future is those special moments that I'm going to have learning about these artist projects and uh, how they reframe and package the world in moving ways, which help me understand and relate to what's going on both in technology, politics and and culture.
0: Wonderful. Simon, thank you so much for being part of Future Histories.
1: Thank you very much Jan, it's been a real pleasure and uh, uh, you're a fantastic conversation partner. It's uh, <laughs> really productive for me. Thank you.
0: <laughs> thank you so much.